you wanted more live Nerdist Writers panels. You've got more live Nerdist Writers panels. We've got a bunch coming up in September and October and in August. Uh, here they are, Los Angeles, August 23rd at Meltdown with Mark Guggenheim, the co-creator of Arrow and the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow, as well as a comic book writer, and he's done a ton of cool stuff. Corinne Marshall, the creator of Casey Undercover and a uh, great sitcom writer. Evan Blyweiss, who has written on... He started out on The Shield, um, uh, and he's done a bunch of other cool shows. Laura Valdivia, who currently write, wrote on Weird Loners, and she wrote on Ben and Kate, and uh, is very funny. Of course, it benefits 826LA. That's August 23rd. Also in Los Angeles, September 13th at Meltdown, our old pal Damon Lindelof is back, the co-creator of Lost and the showrunner of The Leftovers. We'll talk about that show and anything you want to talk about. We've also got Andrew Kreisberg, the co-creator of Supergirl, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow. Um, great guy. Uh, Noel Valdivia, uh, the sister of Laura, who writes dramas. She's currently on Manhattan and wrote for Masters of Sex. And finally, Kit Boss, who's written for Bob's Burgers. Uh, he's on iZombie now. Really good guy. That's September 13th at Meltdown. August 31st, let's back it up. August 31st at Brookline Booksmith, I'm talking with Joe Hill, author, short story writer, comic book writer, raconteur, hilarious dude, scary dude, maybe. Let's find out. Benefits 826 Boston. That's on August 31st. My old hometown. And then finally, this big one, September 21st at Largo at the Coronet. Uh, we're doing an evening of the masters of the family sitcom. We've got Norman Lear, the creator of All in the Family, the Jeffersons, a million shows. Phil Rosenthal, the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. And Steve Levitan, the co-creator of Modern Family. It should be a terrific conversation with these three guys. All three are funny, charming, have lots to say, have been in the business for years. Uh, you don't want to miss that. That's September 21st at Largo. But, Ben, where do I get tickets for these things, and how do I support 826LA and 826Boston? I'll tell you. Go to writerspanel.tumblr.com. I started a Tumblr, so you can find out about all of this stuff writerspanel.tumblr.com follow it and you'll find out about this and we're adding, there are going to be two more live panels uh, in, that will come up for sale in the next couple weeks, so come check it out please come to these panels uh, I always enjoy doing them, I enjoy meeting all of you who listen to the show and uh, we want you there to ask questions that's what I miss having done all of these studio panels is you guys asking great questions of uh, the creators so come on out, Writers Panel. .tumblr.com, and follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, uh, for details there. Hope to see you soon. Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode was recorded at the ATX Television Festival in Austin. Uh, Season 4, which was this year, first weekend in June 2015. We had so much fun at ATX this year. It was bigger and better than it ever was. I don't know why you're not coming next year. Go to ATX festival.com and get your badge for next year. Don't wait to find out who's going to be there, because if you wait to find out who's going to be there, you're going to miss an opportunity to get your badge. Go to atxfestival.com.
going to go ahead and introduce everybody. So we have David Silverman. Come on down. He's coming this way. Matt Selman. Al Jean. And then James L. Brooks. And today, James Hibbard with Entertainment Weekly is going to be moderating and enjoy the history and evolution of The Simpsons. Um, so it's a bit of a cliche when introducing panels to say that something needs no introduction, but if that amazing clip package wasn't enough, uh, this one really doesn't. Um, I think it's always good to remember, Fox's The Simpsons is now the longest-running primetime entertainment series in U.S. television history. Okay, now since this panel is called The Evolution of The Simpsons, let's start with that. I mean, as a timeless animated series, a lot of people don't think of the show as necessarily an evolution exactly. I mean, you know, what, how has the show most changed from your perspective? Well, I would say um, internally, it, it really is such an old show that it predates digital uh, editing, digital animation. So um, the whole way that we do the show is different, and you can see it in an instant, you know, the way the Simpsons now have cell phones instead of a rotary phone. But we still try to do the same show to make it about a family, to make it about, you know, stories that are true and people that are believable. I think it's just, the, you know, the things they confront in 2015 are a little different than in 1990. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for coming. And there you have it, the evolution of The Simpsons. Well, Al, do you, do you think the way, do you think the style of the show has changed? Because I sometimes think that the classic Simpsons jokes that we started doing, like the cutaways and the kind of cartoonier stuff that so many other people have emulated or stolen or done better versions of, perhaps, like we don't, we don't go to those places anymore. And in writing it, we try to find like maybe newer ways to be funny. Well, to me, you know, I was always... It took over after season two, and we were always trying to make it as good as season two, so that's still my goal. And <laughs> someday we'll do that again. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, which character has undergone the most changes since the start of the uh, series? Well, uh, Barney, um, like all alcoholics, completely cured himself in one episode and then completely relapsed <laughs> in another. Um, <laughs> Uh, but other than that, no, I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, someone was saying, what's your mid-season finale? And I go, what? You know, <laughs> that's a thing. Um, we, you know, started, it was comedies that independent episodes and, um, you didn't have an arc. You didn't, you know, you wanted to make something where if people saw it out of order, it would still make sense. So. Uh, to me, there isn't really an evolution. There is a, you know, a desire to, to get back. You well, know, to... As we all know, Al, evolution isn't real. <laughs> so, um... We have an intelligent design that we use to run the show. 
<laughs> and people wonder where we get our ideas. But, like, I mean, that's one of the... The only way you can do a show this long is to, like, have a little bit of a Groundhog Day-type creative universe where at the beginning of every episode, the characters kind of reset to some degree the crazy experiences they've been through and begin the day as a normal family with these basic relatable problems and then go crazy. You don't want to see a 35-year-old Bart writing Skinner as a wiener on the wall. I mean, it, it, it's a good thing that they remain the same age. I was going to say, from the animation side, i got to tell you, even though we've done so many shows, every time we get a script, we always approach it like it's all brand new, and it's always, it's always fresh to us, and, and we try to challenge ourselves to keep thinking of it that way. And, but part of the time, we look at it, maybe because we're not that bright, I don't know, we forgot what we did before, so, oh, it's, how do we do this? I mean, the only way to do it is to forget what you've done before. Otherwise, you're, if you look at that giant, thick red book of all the shows... It is the least creatively inspiring thing you can do. You just shut down. Jim, can you tell us more stories about Hey Landlord? (laughs) (laughs) I I was thinking Homer is always attempting to evolve, so at times there'll be two or three steps forward he takes before he slips back again. After all these years, uh, which character of the Simpsons family is the easiest and hardest to write for, excluding Maggie? Well, I love writing for Lisa because growing up I wasn't like Bart. Yeah, Lisa. Uh. <laughs> um, you know, my sister was like Bart, and she would, you know, when we're supposed to say grace, she'd say rub it up, dub, thanks for the grub, and I would just like be mortified. And um, uh, Yardley Smith is so terrific that you can give her anything, if any, you know, any type of emotion, any range, and she'll just get everything out of it that. You, you just go, thank God. It's, it's a writer's best friend to have at a read. Um, so it's, uh, that's my favorite. I mean, just in terms of characters that are hard to write for, I mean, I think Ralph Wiggum is not easy. Like, <laughs> there's like, there's like a magic double, triple, stupid dumbness you need for him. That, where, but it also has to be a little sideways, too. You know, it's, you know, Ralph, you know, it's hard for him to nail it. I, was, I would also say that, thinking about that, um, it's not so much the characters have evolved so much, it's just we've investigated. And I think one of the most interesting characters that have, we've revealed material and revealed things about him is Krusty the Clown. Because, you know, we have just really wonderful shows. I, I love, personally, I love animating Krusty, because usually I get a great histrionic performance from Dan, a hilarious performance, and that's always great to animate these. Oh, and then down like this. It's... We like, to, we like hitting faces on tables, you know. Well, like one thing with Krusty, who was going to re- originally be illiterate, I don't know if you've ever tried to write for an illiterate TV performer. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> sort of got swept under the rug. But I, I mean, I guess that's sort of an evolution of the show, is the, the getting into the inner lives of the side characters. Like Mo. also, we've done a lot of really thoughtful episodes about his hurt little broken heart inside his gruff, gruff, you know, grumpy exterior and those always seem to play and you know, we, we, just, we just did a show where we tried to get a little deeper into the inner heart of Professor Frank and I think it was, worked pretty well so I look forward to that Yeah, and I, Jim just had an idea where we were um, uh, updating Roman Holiday with Mo and uh, Hank just has 
which which aired, you can see. <laughs> um, and uh, we had an actress, uh, Yaya Da Costa, play a princess from Nigeria. And Hank is so great because Mo is so dis- everything he does is so dislikable on the surface. Yet when he says something nice, we had him uh, saying "Good night, moon" to the stuff in the bar, like "Good night, dregs," "Good night, roaches climbing up my legs." And, and suddenly, you really feel for the guy. And and you know, it's it's so great to have people you can write for. And if you know, you know that if it doesn't work, it's not the joke's problem. It's the writing, and you know that they'll give you what they got. Yeah, when pitching Mo lines in the room, it gets pretty ugly. <laughs> you mentioned a moment ago how it wouldn't work to have like a 35-year-old bard. I, you've mentioned in the past considering doing a time jump or aging the characters. Is that completely off the table, you know, for the future? We've done it in yeah, episodes. Yeah, you've done it in standalone episodes, but, but I meant as, as the show as a whole. Oh, oh, never. That'd be a dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense. But, uh, <laughs> Let's see. Since we're in the hometown of Richard Linklater, I, I did want to say we're going to do a boyhood-style uh, episode with Bart. So it's our first flashback and flash-forward. You know, I'd say it's a parody, but it's really more of a theft of a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, this, and this doesn't give anything away, but I really love about that script is it never takes place in our default present day. So that's, I think, a really great, great aspect of the script. Richard Linklater was on my flight coming in. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> He has to fly somehow. <laughs> I assumed he walked. He aged six times during the flight. <laughs> Can you tease to some other storylines that you're uh, working on for next season? Uh, in the Halloween show, uh, Kelsey Grammer is a guest star. And uh, a clue I would give you as to what's in it, I, as a kid, always wanted to see the coyote eat the roadrunner. <laughs> this is a great idea. This is Al's idea. It's fantastic. So, Sideshow Bob will finally do something he's been trying to do for 25 years, because it's a Halloween show. (laughs) Applauding the murder of a 10-year-old boy. Deep in the heart of Texas. This is Texas, yeah. (laughs) But does murdering the 10-year-old boy you've always wanted to murder make you happy? (laughs) What else? Um, Will, we have a show I thought you you guys would like sort of set in the Springfield's barbecue underworld, sort of a barbecue mystery episode with lots of barbecue-related comedy. So if you guys don't like it, you really screwed up. And, and, and the entire episode would be waiting in one long line. <laughs> uh, anything else you can tease for next season? Um, we had a read just recently um, where... Uh, Texas native Natalie Means uh, saying, and Lisa discovers a homeless woman who turns out has an incredibly beautiful voice uh, and then uh, she also happens to be a heroin addict who shot her parents, but that, you know (laughs) (laughs) so there's some problems but Natalie was unbelievable I I was a complete showstopper of the table read, never heard anything so beautiful Uh, You mentioned Kelsey Grammer's returning, any other uh, guest stars that, uh, that you can talk about at this early stage? Uh, the one that I mentioned, our premiere, September 27th, uh, Girls from Girls. Um, turns out Homer's been... <laughs> <laughs> They're good. They're good. I don't mind They're if good. you fully applaud. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, all right, maybe. 
this is a TV event. Homer, Homer, we've seen has all these years been an archaleptic, and uh, this is a real strain. Marge actually files for separation. It's really, really serious. Homer falls for her, the pharmacist who gives him the narcolepsy medicine, who's voiced by Lena Dunham, and uh, the character's been online, and uh, she was great. She was really funny. I think it's a terrific episode. We're doing a Valentine's Day episode where Frank discovers exactly how to get women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we had to discover how to do that, too. <laughs> it's so simple when you realize that it's like anything. It's like... Just work in TV. <laughs> what one guest star have you never been able to get that you want to? Well, we, we never got a president. We asked everybody, even when Nixon was live, we asked him all the way up. Uh, we didn't actually ask uh, the second Bush or Obama, but we found old actual audio of Theodore Roosevelt and put that in the show. So that's, that's one hell of a president. <laughs> we haven't given up. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to get John Cleese, but he seems so cranky. <laughs> Everybody always talks about their favorite episodes. What's the most underrated episode? That, an episode never shows up on those best of lists that you're like, you know? Well, in terms of underrated, I would say Lisa Goes Gaga. <laughs> like, and I thought she was really funny. I thought that um, she came in, she actually recorded while being filmed. It was really, really funny and um, wonderful to deal with. You know, I think people overrate the first eight years, which I can say because I worked here then. Um, and I think that uh, we've done great stuff since. I think it's more of a continuum than sometimes people think. We're also, uh, this season looks like it's going to have more than some seasons of its share of music. And we had an experience where we did a show at the Hollywood Bowl, and we collectively fell in love with our choreographer. So now we have some dance numbers where she's coming in, the animators work with her, she worked with dancers, and we're, and we're going to draw off that. Yeah, for me, it wasn't love. It was collegial respect. I mean. <laughs> Any other underrated faves on the side? I, I don't know. Actually, it's one that I did. Uh, it's actually in the second season. I think the episode I really loved, that, that I don't know if people love it, is called Old Money, where Grandpa has a girlfriend who dies at the end of the first act, which at the time was totally huge, I mean, in, in any show, but especially an animated show, that you have this character um, and it was voiced by the great Audrey Meadows, and she, you know, she's dead at the end of the first act, and you're like, oh my gosh. But it's very funny, and actually, one of the great things about it is the first introduction of Professor Frank, so. I think everything that I've done is incredibly underrated. <laughs> Crim- criminally, perhaps. I think your work on this panel is underrated. Yeah. You really held it together. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, you go through, have to go through a lot of story ideas. What are some of the most interesting story ideas that you rejected? We haven't rejected any for a while, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> there was one, it was a Cold War script, it was that long ago, where the mayor of Springfield's sister city came over in a balloon to Springfield. <laughs> And it was <laughs> with the season 28 premiere. <laughs> there was also one, we wrote a script uh, for Prince, and he called and said he wanted to do it. And then we said, great. And he started reading stuff from the script, and it wasn't the one we had sent him. It was something that one of his friends had written. And <laughs> so it was, it was a very awkward call. 
He's like, you don't go on a sitcom with a script that your friend wrote and say, come on, just shoot it. No, a lot of Mary Tyler Moore's were done that way, actually. Uh, anyone else have one for that? What else have we dumped, Zilberman? I'm trying to think. I mean, entire episodes uh, that didn't get on. What are we... We've thrown out Halloween segments or any of those. Maybe that. There maybe was that. one time, yeah, we, we threw up a re- resuscitated a Halloween segment that was going to be an anime, like oh, right. Miyazaki. But then we did a whole segment in um, a show called Married to the Blab, and it got actually 10 million views on YouTube. It was, it, we love Miyazaki. He's one of the best, you know, animators all, of all time. I actually tried to get him to do a couch gag, but he, he you know, passed. Well, I, 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 I will say that um, one time by bluffing, I, I, I saved a segment from staying on because I came in and they were pitching ideas for this Halloween episode. I came to the meeting and they looked at me and said, David, can we do computer animation? And I didn't know. This is like 1993 or whatever. And, uh, no, 1994. And I was go- my response was, uh, and they said, no, we got to know yes or no right now, otherwise we won't do the segment. So I said, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. How are we going to do this? So we, we did, and then, you know, when we got it done, it was, it was of course, the, the uh, 3D Homer episode, and uh, so I'm glad I said yes. What, one story I would tell, this is one of those stories you tell even though you weren't there, was when the first episode came back in animation and it was a disaster. And I wasn't at that screening, but it was just legendary about nobody spoke for like five minutes. I, it was all over. Because <laughs> at that time, it was the first episode, so you didn't know whether everyone would be that much off model. And, and, and everything was off so that everybody looked grotesque. And that was the first time we saw the show. So, um, so we had to wait. That was the longest week of my life to see whether... It was just an anomaly, or the second one was okay, and the second one was okay. David directed. My show was everything. Yeah. So they're all looking towards me. So I didn't sleep for a week. You know, I just I run the show in my head. I know I did this right. I hope that what's going to happen. So uh, that was a tough week. But when the show came back, it came back. It was called called Bart the Genius, and uh, I think we all breathed a collective sigh of relief. Yeah, we actually were going to premiere in the September of 1989, but because of all this. Switched the premiere to David's directed Christmas show in, the, in December, and then the show that was redone aired last of the first year. Um, you've done uh, Family Guy and Futurama crossover episodes. Is there any other show that would make sense or that you would like to do a crossover? 60 Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we did a Rick and Morty couch gag, with, uh, which they really did all of. And I think that couch gags are really useful because we can, you know, get these guys that are our heroes and have them do it and then not right. necessarily commit the whole show. But right. the Futurama, what, you know, really helped was it's, the design universe is exactly the same. The writing is, you know, I mean, it's, it's our sister show and always has been. So mm-hmm. they made it a natural. Family Guy, we didn't know what was happening until it aired. <laughs> Is there any uh, like totally random character that you would love to build an episode around that you never have done? Yes. (laughs) 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 
No. <laughs> Senior ding dong. <laughs> I mean, you have to dig. You have to dig around for humanity. If there's not like some of the characters, if they don't have humanity to go into, you might be hard to, to put it in there. But I don't know. I mean, what's going on inside Lenny's head? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, especially now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, come on, Al, you must have one. Well, I, we do like just exploring, uh, like we did one with Chalmers. But again, because mm-hmm. Hank is so great that you give him like a meal and he'll really, you know, go all the way through it and get everything you can out of it. So it's like Matt just said, you want to have something where you go, what really motivates the yes man? Can he say no? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and if you can do that, you can maybe get an episode. And as I understand, there, there's no big update on this, but so, you know, we address it, uh, Harry Shearer, still in limbo? Yeah, it's the same as it was. It's in limbo. Um, we hope he returns, and either way, the show's continuing and the characters will stay. Uh, I think it's going to be tied in with the Iran deal that U.S. is negotiating. <laughs> it's all going to be one big package. <laughs> We're sort of all, what do, what do you call them, where you wait for the people to come in from the storms, the widow's walk? So we're, sort of, we're sort of all on the widow's walk, and at the first sign of objective truth, we're going to tell each other. Uh, you definitely caused a stir. I think, I think it was for last year when you, when you said that, um, that you're going to kill off a character next season. Do you, you know, is, is there any chance of that happening again this season that you would uh, be willing to say up front? Well, it was weird because there, we'd always thought it would be a good show just to kill Krusty's father because he's a rabbi that had a difficult relationship. You could get into his spirituality. And actually, we were doing an interview, and for some reason, instead of saying that, I just said, oh, we're going to kill off a character, and the actor who plays the character won an Emmy for playing the character. And suddenly it was big headlines all over the world. Who will they kill? Is it Bart? <laughs> it's like, no, it won't be Bart. <laughs> and so, you know, Matt, correctly, Graining said, let's go with it. Let's make it a big deal. And so I was a little embarrassed at the time it aired because people were then go, Krusty's father? That was the whole thing? You know, but uh, if you examine it as an episode on its own lights, I think it was a good emotional story. Yeah, as an internet wank, it wasn't so great. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy to wank the internet, I've discovered. <laughs> uh, so Broad Appeal uh, animation and film has never been stronger, arguably, yet on television, networks continue to have this insanely difficult time finding a new animated hit, especially when films are doing so well. Why does it continue to be so difficult to launch a new uh, animated hit on television for, the, for like, cross audiences like adults, too? Well, I think that uh, it depends which network, because you do get great animation like Rick and Morty. You get a lot of really cool things that aren't on the major networks. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, like, uh, other than Fox, they regard it as some sort of mysterious lost art that can't be opened. Uh, but the key to me was just always from the start, Jim said we're going to write this with a full staff like a sitcom and explore emotions. And if you do that, that's why Pixar movies work too, you know, and that's, that's the secret. There is really isn't like anything deeper. I mean, also to, to do primetime animation, you have to commit so much money to, up front. You can't just shoot a pilot, see if it works, and then quickly make 13. You have to like pay for all at once and then hope people like it. And I just think executives don't want to put themselves out on a limb like that. You just outlay all that money and then be stuck with a dud. 
Yeah, I think NBC isn't even doing comedy anymore. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> they have two in the fall <laughs> on Friday night. Um, I suspect this is just going to get sarcastic answers, but is there a character that could actually move away from Springfield and serve as a launching point for a spinoff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> well, that was discussed a while back, and I always thought, uh, personally, it wasn't up to me, but that, that if you move the characters away, suddenly The Simpsons is less, and I'd rather have a show that runs for... I'd say it's going to run 65 years. Then to have a, a two shows which suddenly like each seemed like they weren't quite the complete thing. The, the, the richness of The Simpsons, I think, isn't that the characters change, but that you get so many characters and that a guest star can come in like an Anne Hathaway and suddenly like, that's a really cool story. So I, would, I personally would say it's great as it is and, and you, know, you don't need a spinoff. It's, the universe is full. I mean, interestingly uh, to me, yeah, I wouldn't even think... the it's even hard to add new characters to our existing world at this point and have them stick. Like, you know, we have, like, the, this, the family and then, like, the sort of 20 main go-to Springfielders and, like, them, the 60 assorted weirdos who live around there. And it's really hard to bring in someone of a, of a Wiggum quality and, like, say, no, this is one of our new funny townspeople. I mean, people are really committed emotionally to who we have. So to, it's hard to even expand what we have, let alone take one of those and, you know, plant that seed somewhere else. So, think after 27 seasons, we maybe we won't want to tinker too big, you know. It seems to be working. Uh, you mentioned uh, the number of seasons. The show's continued longevity seems to depend on a few things: the network renewing it, uh, you guys wanting to keep it going, and the cast making new deals. Which do you, of those three things do you think will give out first? <laughs> Well, you, 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 you left out the sun burning out and exploding. <laughs> That's my vote. <laughs> oh, I, oh I, I should say this out loud. I'm ducking this question. <laughs> the, the, to be factual, the cast is confirmed for up to season 30. Mm-hmm. The sun is confirmed for four billion years. Oh. <laughs> so, um, the sun just got its pickup, yeah. <laughs> I have huge gambling debts. <laughs> I mean, the, the, probably the one of those that's not going to happen is us getting tired of doing it because, you know... Because we, they'll fire us. And- <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, you know, like, like Jim said, we don't get the notes from anyone but ourselves, and we just... We just have a great creative mandate every day and look around at TV. No one makes any money. It's terrible. So really, we've got to keep that rolling in. Well, I've worked on you know, several shows. I've been in different places. There's nothing that compares with The Simpsons. It's the best job in the world. And you, it's why it's on, is everybody knows it and wants it to be good and it takes care that it stays good. And, and the great thing is it's not, it's not like a cult of any one personality. We serve it. At a certain point, you know, the fact that it's what it is pulls us along so we're not pushing and it's and it's not a, and it's not about us it's about it and i think that's one of the things that keeps us all gone you are right my master <laughs> <laughs> great point boss <laughs> well it it is one of the really kind of weird mystical things about animation is that you know we can 
be here and, you know, we can have a voice talent here and, and I, I draw it, they write it. But you can't actually physically have Homer up on stage. He's completely intangible, only exists up on the screen. And I think that's what's so intriguing and wonderful about mm, animation. Great, so, you know. You know, now that you've like pretty much broken all the records for a, uh, a scripted show can break in, in terms of its longevity, is, is there like another number that's like in your head that you're like, well, if that's the one, if we get to that, that would be amazing. Well, Gunsmoke did 635, so I think it'd be funny if we stopped at 634. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say to screw people's minds <laughs> but it's not for a number it really is just the cast and the, and the stories mm -hmm. how did they do 635 that's insane at so one can... point they were on I think twice a week I think and each one was like two I... hours long <laughs> <laughs> there's a network that many for people you. to kill in the old west they it's... never repeated a story either that's what's amazing those guys the gun smoke writers my hat hats off you know a new one every time <laughs> We're, we're making fun of the dead. <laughs> uh, Never repeated a gunfight. I always love the Simpsons are going to episodes. Is there another... What if they uh, just shot each other at the end? All right. <laughs> That'll be a good ending. Sure. That was, that was so rude to the moderator. <laughs> uh, do you guys have another road trip episode uh, planned? Well, they're going to Paris, so I guess it's not a road trip. Well, but... or like the Simpsons are going <laughs> to, and then there, there's a thing it. where Homer realizes just how um, how he always has fun, and Marge, you know, is kind mm -hmm. of in the limelight. So to make it up to her, he he goes to Paris, but he can only um, pay for the trip by uh, smuggling in an exotic snake for French gourmands <laughs> to eat, and uh, it'll be a reappearance of Ugolan and Cesar from the first season. There you go! Wow. <laughs> What would all of you be doing if you weren't doing this after all these years? Back at my dad's hardware. <laughs> Wait, what kind of alternative reality? Be more specific about the alt-reality you're pitching. Like the show never existed or it ended at season t eight or, or what? Like we had, did we ever work on the show? Uh, like like if, if, you, if you launched the show and it had been canceled after six episodes, what, where would, you, what would you guys be doing? Yeah, moderator, why don't you answer a few questions? <laughs> I probably would have found a Google. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, I saw the show when it first, I was in college and it, inspired me and I believe a generation and then multiple generations of writers to want to become comedy writers and you can see the influence of the early classic days of the show on almost every no truly on almost everything on the hip punk days of today <laughs> yeah but on almost everything that exists in anywhere in movies and commercials and in live action TV and multicam so like I think a, a generation of, of comedy people literally would not have gone into the business and it would all be like Major dads still and <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I wanted to agree with Phil Rosenthal who did the last panel where I grew up, I watched Mary Tyler Moore with my parents. It was such a wonderful experience. That that's, you know, to me what I wanted to do. I mean it was and I I still can't believe I work with the you know, the guy that did it. Here, here. Yeah. I,
Let's see, I'd love to open this up to questions from the audience. Let's see. Do they have microphones or we just... You have to repeat. You have to repeat. You repeat. You repeat. You repeat what they say. Go ahead. question is, taking pot shots, where do we get that? Well, the irreverence was always in Matt's work in uh, Life in Hell. And, and you know, when I, I didn't work on the shorts. So that's why I wanted to take the job is because I saw what David and, and Matt and everybody had done. And I thought these are really funny and really cool. Go ahead. He's sitting right behind you. <laughs> he is. My God. <laughs> He's very real. He was actually the basis for uh, uh, Herman, the one-armed soldier of fortune in, in design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he, he's a really wonderful, friendly guy and somewhat aloof. Yeah, he's, a, he's a terrific guy. I'll tell you a true story. He has a brother. And I called once, and I said, hello, John. And you know, he goes, hi. Uh, and I go, he goes, no, this is his brother. And it sounded just like him, and it was like a radio show. And I heard clump, 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 clump. Hello, and I was like, "Does he really have a brother?" <laughs> no, but he is real, and you should all—if you like his episodes—you should buy his books, which are—they're so really funny. I mean, they're too funny to read even in one sitting because they're so dense with jokes. And John is unique, super talent, and, 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 and yes, very, very nice. And he claims to own the world's first baseball. <laughs> we don't know if it's true <laughs> or if someone ripped him off well, a, 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 if you want a, a great Schwarzwalder idea and I think it was actually almost modular because he pitched it and it didn't go to that show but it ended up in a different show but Grandpa saying why did you wake me I was having the most wonderful dream I was dreamed I was a queen of the old west <laughs> That's his, that's his juxtaposition of ideas. Go ahead in the back. Well, that was an animation mistake, uh, but it certainly seems like a great story idea. You know, I wanted to work one thing in, which is not obviously off that question. I just wanted to say today would have been the 60th birthday of Sam Simon, who was integral to the show, and I, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. I don't know if that's the question he would have wanted me to mention him during. But. <laughs> <laughs> Watch for thunderbolts. <laughs> Go ahead. The question is uh, the mislead, the first act mislead into the main story, basically. Where did that come from? Or how does I- it I remember it was Sam uh, saying, like, yeah, you don't have to do the same thing for the whole show. In animation, you can do it really quickly. Um, And we actually would have people who would do uh, voiceover work who would come, and and we'd have a show that had two completely different parts, and they would sue us going, you're getting two shows for one. (laughs) And um, 
you know, now it's the norm. Uh, but yeah, it was just the whole, I, I was amazed when I got to The Simpsons just how fast everything was, how we burned through material, how, you know, you could just make everything better and continue to make it better. I also sometimes think because TV is essentially like a two-act structure, right? It was, it was at the time. Yeah, yeah, at the time. So, so what we had, we had, but we had like a three-act setup with the way the commercials broke it. So, in a sense, the first act was the mislead, and at the end of the first act, oh, this is what the story's about. And then you have after that kind of a two-act structure. Yeah, I mean, it is it is just incredibly fun for us creatively to like have a flight of fancy at the beginning that hopefully sets up the, what is the emotion of the show, but it's just something that has nothing to do with anything like the tire fire melting a mountain or whatever, Chief yeah. Wiggum getting a jetpack. I, I just think we, we continually wrestle with storytelling. I like that we continually wrestle with it and how to tell our story and what the story is, and I think we should. And then, of course, because Fox asked, we went to the uh, Aristotelian 4-act structure. <laughs> but we're generally just doing tags now. Yeah, yeah, that killed us for a while because of the nature of what, where they were putting the commercials. We had to change our structure, and that really didn't work. I mean, I think that most new TV shows are pressure. There's under a huge amount of pressure to be four acts, and I think that's one of the reasons that network TV has really suffered, especially comedies that, like, you know, that you can't... The audience never knows what's going on. You're always cutting to commercial. If you have multiple stories, you know, it's just very confusing and disjointed, and you can't build up a narrative momentum, and so... A drama writer said, yeah, they want eight acts in an hour, and each one has to have a climax. And it's like, you can't, you know, it's just ridiculous. It's like, you know, nothing has that many automatic natural climaxes. (laughs) I didn't mean that. (laughs) That's the setup of the day, folks. (laughs) Way down upon this one. But you guys have had, like, uh, Houses in Las Vegas, The Simpsons, Airplane, Universal, uh, Theme Park, Hollywood Bowl Show. What more could be done that you would potentially want to do with the extension of this, this, this brand? Well, this, these things tend to come to us, rather us trying to go to them. And, right. and, and certainly, Tapped Out has been extraordinary, and, and that's been something that, that will give birth, I think, to other things. But... Uh, the, the great thing about this is, you know, if, you, if one day you're writing a cereal box because, you know, because the movie's coming out, or you do things you never imagined doing, and it, it, in all honesty, it keeps you feeling surreal. It keeps you feeling like, you don't, like it doesn't quite exist, cause it, and, it, and, it's, and it's fresh because you never imagined doing it in your life. You know, so I think that's one of the great experiences of working on this show. Well, I remember I got a call from Jim. And I was like, we're doing a ride. That's great. The ride's in trouble. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> one second after I'm thrilled. <laughs> but that was, but working, on the, I mean, working on the ride was one of the greatest things we ever did because what they did was there was a ride called Back to the Future of the Ride in, in Universal, and they literally changed that ride into our ride. So we got to, like, watch them do it. Like, we put on hard hats. We went into the ride. We saw the giant holes in the ground where the cars go up. I mean... You don't, you don't get to do that on, on Major Dad. And, and by the way, <laughs> they're not the enemy. By the way, we bombed. The ride was bombing, and that's why we had to, we had to lock ourselves up and with, and with engineers talking to us about what was possible and rewrite a ride. And I think we all remember it as great because who would ever think of doing it? The, the show itself, uh, the ride, uh, the Hollywood Bowl show, and to some extent the movie each at one point seemed like a total disaster we would never recover from. 
And then all, all of them I'm incredibly proud of. It's a good lesson just about never give up. But we have to give up now. <laughs> <laughs> We'd also like those, to thank those people who didn't let us give up. <laughs> and you mentioned the movie, and I know you can ask this at every single panel, but uh, anything new on that front about potentially doing another one anytime ever? I, I think it was so hard to do it at the same time as the show. I would say not that the show's ending, but that I would rather do an, another film after the show was over because you could devote full attention. And we really wouldn't do a movie for the money. We would not want a movie to come out unless we thought it was great. And, you know, we did the short, which we loved, and we might do another short. But we, we really, you know, I'm so proud of everything we've done. I wouldn't personally want to do anything unless we were as proud of it. Yeah. I think the most fun we've ever had was the short because it was just a breeze. We just, it was pure fun. There was never a problem. It just, it just went and it worked. And we do, you know, every once in a while we sort of go towards first base and making another movie, you know. And, 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 and I think once a compelling idea happened, we'd probably do it. But, and, and there's been a few that, is that, yeah, and it wasn't. Yeah, the episode that was uh, aired, which is King and Kodos' home planet, was considered as a movie. And we thought about it for two years, but then finally just released it as an episode. And, um, yeah, we're just very picky. Is there another question? Let's see. Uh, go ahead. Um, can you talk a little bit more about making the movie and the show concurrently and the difference between the process? Well, it was funny watching Al almost explode every day. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anyone work harder than when he was literally like, but Al, I, we worked on the show all day, then he worked on the movie super late, and then he stayed at work. He was like listening to like, Italian homers and all he was doing. He did all the voice casting well, for fun. all the former. You were tired. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. Give it up for Al, guys. He worked so hard. No, I mean, we all worked hard, but I mean, the thing about it was that the movie, it was always about that middle part where they went to Alaska. Like, we thought we had a good beginning and we figured that blowing up a dome would be in the dome and the pig was in the first day. Matt pitched it. You know, who stole it? Say who stole it. <laughs> we Stephen King claims he came up with it, <laughs> but that yeah. book sure appeared at a convenient time right after the movie. I can, <laughs> and I we've never taken anything from Stephen King. <laughs> uh, a couple quick more. Oh, let's see. Uh, go ahead. It was kind of a joint thing. Yeah. It was. Uh, I think it was you, oh, man. I think it was you. Well, it was... It was, it was you. I remember it very well. Dave Merkin uh, pitched this really great idea for a sequence that was deviling us between the two Flander Bart scenes, and he had this idea that Homer... No, that Lisa and Marge have actually a conversation talking about Lisa's boyfriend. And I thought two things. Well, first of all, it's nice that we actually have a conversation between Lisa and Marge in the picture, and also it kept that B story alive about Lisa's romance. And then, and Marge is cleaning up the spider, uh, the, the, the pig uh, prints, and says the most important thing is a man listens to you. And then, how did the pig prints get up on the ceiling? And David just sort of pinched Homer, pitched Homer going, doot, 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 doot. and then you said, yeah, yeah he could be the amazing, he's amazing. the amazing spider pig. Right. And then everybody started, David was there too, singing the yeah. lyrics to the song. Well, actually, yeah, I, I actually, I started singing the lyrics. It came off the top of my head based on a kid that I saw a long time ago saying, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a Spider-Man. So uh, that became, <laughs> I just added one more word to it. I was there, but I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it, like, it was late and it took over the movie 
And it was weird. It was like in every ad, it was very strange, uh, you know, the way something like that just kind of seizes it. Oh, but he's returning. He's in an episode this fall. Oh. <laughs> I, got, I hope the descendants of whoever wrote that song for that old bad Spider-Man oh, cartoon, yeah, I mean, no, they, they, they must clear. have been the happiest day of their life. <laughs> Lots of, dough, lots of dough, lots of dough. Simpsons TV show. <laughs> Let's see, one more. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, I think actually, I, I David Merkin was the showrunner then. I believe that. They were puzzling it out, and that. No, what happened? They wrote was, the script, but I thought I thought David. No, but I remember the the pitch. Well, go ahead. Yeah. No, the, 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 it was a, we have the we have these retreats every year where um, where we just try and knock out basically all the stories for the season, and I remember the pitch for that, which I, I don't think was David. But the, the, Oakley and Weinstein. Oakley and Weinstein. Oakley and Weinstein. Yeah. yeah, and and they said I never heard a pitch like this. We have an idea how to close the season. And everybody will watch, and it'll become a big event in the whole world. And then we'll start the next season that way. And we all—nobody ever made a pitch like that, and they absolutely delivered it. Yeah, that was true. I—I th- I wasn't there, so I can't say I, I had heard that it was David who said it should be Maggie. But I—yeah, that's what happened. What happened was I was the only one. I was—I was a supervising director, so even the directors of the episode, Jeff Lynch directed the first part, and Wes Archer directed the second part. And the first part. Jeff didn't know the answer, but David Merkin had me, after it was shipped, add these clues in, animation clues. I had to do all these additional drawings, and only, only me. So I only was the only one that knew it. And then at the second half, the last part had not to be, was not animated, and I was first boarding it all out. And at that point, I told David, look, I've got to get Wes to help me on this. So Wes and I boarded out the, fi- the finale where... Um, where uh, you know it's that Maggie is. And we also animated. We actually animated uh, other people being the culprit, just because we wanted to confuse yeah. people in Korea in case there's a spy there. <laughs> what was and, really clever was that Burns fell on a sundial where it looked like WS Wayland Smithers, but if you flipped it, it was MS Maggie right. Simpson. And I think that was what. The, the key to the whole thing was right, right, and that's why you, that's why Moe Sislak's last name appeared for the first time. So it could be Moe Sislak or you know all those people. Martha that, Stewart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's about all the time we have. Can you uh, give a big round of applause for our panel? Thank you. Nerdist.com